Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Business Life Hacks. I'm here with my esteemed colleague, Josh Strafczynski, manager of uh, J Marketing, and I'm Dan Lemp. So this week, we're talking about a really valuable and fulfilling and interesting topic about building community online and how you can leverage it to benefit your business. So what is community? How are they built? How are they used to your benefit? And what are the kinds of downfalls of creating community and the kind of mistakes you want to avoid? Uh, so Josh, what would you, how would you describe a community? What, what defines that? This is a super, super broad topic. So it's a good chance for us to define it down. When businesses are talking about lead lists and, um, and creating networks which are going to feed their business with leads in the future, what they're talking about is basically an email list, but in a social forum. And by that, I mean they can have communication dialogue with those customers. So it's effectively free advertising to people that already know you. You can establish a relationship and you can talk to them. That's really what we mean by community. Yeah, and also that all the members of that community can, can talk and interact with each other. Yeah, ideally. Ideally, but not necessarily. I'll give you one example of um, the contrary. It's still, still seen as a community. Okay, interesting. I live in, I live in the, the Caribbean, and there's a, a little regional airline that flies between Mexico and Belize and a couple of others called Tropic Air. And they've got um, a WhatsApp group and it's promotion on their website. You jump on their WhatsApp group and once a week, there's a crazy special that they will send around mm. and it'll be available for the next 20 tickets. It'll be 10% of the price. And there is a little bit of dialogue on there. If people have got questions, then it can go back and forth. It's not the true sense of the word community. Mm. But there are a few small variations that are worth recognizing just so that business owners can keep their, their brain, their thought process a little bit broader. Yeah. But on the whole, we're talking about Facebook communities, LinkedIn communities. I think you, you had been looking at Reddit communities, right? Yeah. yeah Reddit is, is really interesting um, because to me, that's where I feel the biggest sense of community online. And so I was really interested in, in what, what creates that, that community. And I found this case study um, and slash interview with one, of the, uh, with one of the leads of Reddit, one of the people who really has been there kind of since the beginning and uh, brought it to fruition. And so some of the advice was really specific to Reddit. And I think what we're, one of the big things that we're helping businesses with in, in this particular podcast is, is Facebook groups. Am I, am I, do you think I'm right in saying that? Yeah, I think that's, we'll talk a lot about that today for sure. Yeah. But, um, but there, so some of the advice is really specific to Reddit, but some of this is really, I think applies a lot to Facebook groups, mainly um, finding a niche finding communities that already exist and conversations that people uh, want to like 
actively want to have already. That's kind of the first category of advice. And then the next is being a really engaged moderator. So the level of engagement and enthusiasm of the moderator and the people who are managing the group has a lot to do with the success of the community, especially in the early days before there's a lot of organic traffic. Um, so I wanted to read just a little, the first couple lines from this case study because I thought it was really, uh, is really pertinent. And so here it is. Most companies try to create their own community from the ground up. They put their brand as the main topic of conversation and expect people to just want to be active. And often this leaves conversations feeling forced and dry. So it's not about creating a community because that's hard or impossible. Instead, look to communities that are already out there. What communities are trying to form and how can you help them grow? How can you serve them? So it's about fulfilling a need or a want that is kind of lacking where there's a hole in that space. So I thought a really good example of this is a Facebook group. This is not one made by any particular business, but there's a Facebook group called I hate cilantro. And so you might know that there, there's a pretty, pretty uh, about half the world population hates cilantro because they're just genetically, there's something genetic about their taste buds that make it taste like soap to them. And then the other half of the world totally doesn't get why people hate cilantro so much. And so this is a pretty well-known thing. Um, and anyone who hates cilantro will really understand that. So some people are very passionate about how much they hate it. And so there's this Facebook group called I Hate Cilantro. And it's pretty much the only one on Facebook. And it really took off. There are, it's a really extremely engaged community. People are posting every day. Uh, people have conversations with each other. And um, because they already kind of had this like dying, like not this dying need, but they really, it's something that it, it's an experience that they have that other people also have where they didn't already have a place to like talk about that. And so it became a really engaged community that grew. So, yeah. So I'm interested with this then. Can every community be commercialized? Like is for cilantro, is there a way for a company to come in and say, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll support you sharing the hate, but we're going to make some scratch out of this. Yeah, I think so. Um, actually, I have a friend who, who did that. They, because they hate cilantro, they joined this Facebook group and, uh, you know, they were posting to it. And then one day they had the idea to make a t-shirt. And <laughs> so they started making uh, t-shirts about hating cilantro and they actually made some pretty good money off of it. So it's the idea that if you have, if there is, if there is a niche, there's probably people who want to buy stuff related to that niche. So if you create the community um, and you give those people in that niche to have, a, to have a space, then it's a lot easier to be able to naturally post something like, hey guys, by the way, here's a t-shirt, um, you know, based around this niche and have people who, you have an, an active audience who would 
already line up with that um with that interest yeah and i guess there's um that's tapping into someone else's facebook group but Mm -hmm. for a company that wants to build it from the ground up and um, and cultivate those conversations and be seen as trusted there's a big opportunity for them to to really grow in the eyes of the customer right yeah yeah so we we talk about the the conversion formula a lot and how um anxiety and friction in the buying process are real limiters for companies wanting to advertise so this is an opportunity to overcome that by by growing trust with your customers and we've got a, a couple of current clients doing this right yeah, so I think one good example is uh, No Limits Basketball. So No Limits Basketball is a basketball training facility in Australia. They run basketball training programs primarily for, for kids 18 and under. And so right now we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic and they can't be running their live training sessions so what they're shifting their focus to is building their Facebook group so that they have a community of people who they can, um, they can sell on their online training uh, because, you know, that's doing things online at the moment is kind of their only option. So I'm curious on this because for me, I wouldn't just join a Facebook community and then go, cool, now I'm part of the Facebook community. I'll, I'll sign up for the basketball training. What is it that they're doing to, to when I join, give me a taste of what I'm going to get and make me feel at ease? With No Limits Basketball, um, honestly, I think it's probably better if, if you describe that because I'm more on the, the SEO end of things and not so much in the Facebook end of things. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll answer my own question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Toss it right Um, back to you, buddy. (laughs) Boom. So with a lot of these communities and no limits is is no exception. The one of they're using as a hook to get people into the group in the first place. And the hook is come in and every Friday we're going to be doing a live free training session for you. Mm. So whether you're the parents, the kids, whatever, you can switch this on. If you've got a basketball ring at home, you can join at home. But if you don't, you can still do stuff. There's going to be like ball handling that you can do inside. And there's this and that. For some of our um, uh, health clients, like physios, yoga instructors, that sort of thing, this is really an excellent way to engage the audience because who doesn't want a free lesson in something? If it's terrible, turn it off a friend of mine ran one the other day and i was like oh yeah it's a live stream i'll jump on and have a look and unfortunately for my friend her stream was her internet quality was very very poor and that's okay if i had gone all the way down to the beach got up and paid for the ticket and gone up there and it was rubbish i would have been frustrated in this instance, it was two seconds to go, nope, not for me, thanks. Or, yeah. in hindsight, because those barriers are so low, oh, this is actually pretty awesome. I think I'll stick around and I'm interested in what this company has to say. 
Yeah, and you mentioned the conversion formula that, that we that we work with a lot. You know, so for anyone who doesn't know, we work with a conversion formula that describes consumer psychology and the different factors that go into people's buying decisions. And so one of the big ones that we focus on a lot is anxiety. So the lower someone's anxiety is about buying a product, the higher their chance the higher probability that they're going to actually put down money and buy. And so there's two levels here. One, we lower the anxiety and also the friction to joining that, you know, free online course because a it's free uh, and B they don't have to go anywhere. It's from their home. It's uh, it's online. So that lowers the anxiety to getting into the uh, kind of the first stage of the, of the sales funnel. Once they're in that, if they have a good experience, that also significantly lowers their anxiety when they actually decide to buy, about buying the online training or in the future when the facilities open back up of going in, putting down the money for you know the actual physical um, experience. Because they've already had an experience with the brand, they have some idea of what, they, uh, of what they're gonna get if they saw the training and feel that they already got value out of it, then they feel more confident that they're going to get value when they actually buy something from this company. This is one of the things that digital marketers mess up all the time. In fact, just about anyone who's working in digital. They think that it's an all new medium, and it is not. Advertising and sales, have not changed in a thousand years. Mm. We still buy from the people that we like. That was a lesson my, my father taught me and his father taught him. Now the mediums have changed. And what you're talking about there is simply how can I use the internet and, and these groups, these communities to amplify my message and get me out in front of people so that they can learn more easily. But essentially it's exactly the same thing that it was a hundred years ago of, Hey, here's some value I'm offering you. Trust me. I really like if you ever read anything that David Ogilvy has written, particularly Ogilvy on advertising is one of the most fantastic books. He has so many chestnuts in there, but one in particular is he talks about the marketing contract. I love this. It's always resonated with me. He says that something like you've got to offer value to get people's attention. So something like a commercial when you're watching TV is okay because you're getting the TV show for free. So we're willing to give a little bit of attention to why certain soap, soap suds will clean jeans better. Mm. But ideally, the best advertising is providing value in that it's not just in between TV ads, it's you know, also making us laugh or it's shareable. That's why the Super Bowl spots um, are what they are. I think a lot of companies, particularly when we get into these online communities, forget about the marketing contract. Like you read out before, they try to make it about themselves. Right when really it's not about them it's about the customers yeah and so, it can it can only be about you if your brand already has like a passionate following that's going to you know 
Apple, for example, uh, for instance, it already has people who are really interested. So maybe they could, you could have like an Apple meetup group where people just get together and talk about Apple products. Um, but even then it's not about Apple. It's about, you know, this common interest that, that the people have. And you know, those exist like Mac rumors right. uh, is a popular group uh, in shopping. There's a, fantastic community in Australia called Ozbargain, ozbargain.com.au, that's O-Z, which is all about discount shoppers who, if a deal comes on the market, they share it straight away. And they'll actually, under each product, like have quite a robust conversation about whether it would be a good purchase or not. It's actually mm, the first place I go when I'm researching TVs and so on. Yeah. Um, secret flying or... Um, Oh, what's the forum? Frequent frequent travelers forum, something like that, um, where people discuss travel deals and travel hacking, and these these are all great communities that you could grow. And if you're a company, a lot of those examples weren't set out to be commercialized. But if you're a company, you can commercialize them. Whether that's putting, getting the ad revenue or probably more importantly, seeding your products and services in. And Dan, one of the areas I wanted to talk about today, because so far it's been a little bit intangible, possibly esoteric for a lot of re- uh, listeners, is why would I want to, like talking about just how cheap it can be right now to build your own audience. So do you, what do you think? What would it cost me to get someone to join a, a Facebook group in terms of advertising dollars. Mm, interesting. Um, so I guess it, it depends on how it's growing because there are organic ways of, of growing and then there are paid ways. And so I don't, I don't personally run Facebook ads. Again, I'm more on the like business strategy and on the SEO uh, side of things. But my understanding is that building a Facebook group uh, with paid Facebook ads is really cheap, a lot cheaper than running ads to, for like lead generation, for example. Yeah. And that's absolutely right. Now, of course it fluctuates, but you could be looking at say five cents up to maybe 50 cents per fan. Probably yeah. not 50 cents is pretty high and five cents is pretty low, but you know, somewhere in there of the 10 to 20 cents per person is probably pretty common. And you think about that in terms of value relative to direct advertising, it's quite phenomenal because people that are in a group, it's, this is not a page. This is not pay for performance. People that are in a group, see all the notifications that get put up. So instead of, if we can compare this to advertising to someone saying, hey, buy my whatever, new fishing rod, you get one go at that. And the person goes, oh, yeah, I'll check out this, this fishing rod. And they click through to the page and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that looks pretty cool. I'll think about it. And they leave. And you've got to spend more money if you want to get back in front of that person. Yeah building a community lets you get that person in and you can talk to them for the next five years. Yeah. Because in in reality, that's when 80% of sales come, you know, it's, 
20%, probably significantly less than 20% of people who are in the last stages of their buying cycle right now where they've been thinking about it and thinking about it and they think, okay, you know what? I'm finally ready to buy that fishing rod. And then you, uh, they see the ad and they're like, perfect. I was just thinking about buying a fishing rod. I'm going to buy it right now. That's a pretty rare uh, person. The majority of people are in a stage where they're thinking, hmm, I wonder if I want to get into fishing. Um, and then they're, they kind of think about maybe trying out fishing for a year. And then after a year, they go fishing with their buddies one time and they think, oh, you know what? This is actually pretty fun. And then a couple years later, they're like, you know what? I'm getting really into this. It's time for me to finally buy my fishing rod. If you were the brand who was in front of them and engaging them for that entire period of three years, then who are they going to go to? Is it going to be you or is it going to be some fishing uh, brand that they've never heard of? It's much more likely to be you because they're more familiar with you. Yeah, and so this is a good example too where if I was a fishing company, I could try to be everything to everyone. That's hard, tough. Or I could try to, you say niche, I say niche a little <laughs> bit more. The battle one continues. The, yeah, one of the ideas that went through my head just then was creating, um, say I live the stores near Lake Tahoe just first like that came into my mind, creating a community for fishermen and fishing advice in Lake Tahoe. This would be a great Facebook group because it's presumably people that live in the locale. Right. There's a really clear thing for us to talk about what's biting at the moment. Where are the good spots? What are the current restrictions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in that period, I can also layer in, stories about our new products and how they've been going in that local condition for those fishermen. So even if I've got a fishing rod and I've got my boat and I've got everything that I could want, I'm still pretty interested to know if that frog lure actually worked. Mm. And that's going to influence my buying decision and lead me towards your brand. Right. So we talked we talked about how cheap it is to build these, um, these online communities, but we probably also need to balance that out with the pitfalls because it's not just as easy as setting up a Facebook group and going, cool, I'll, I'll do some advertising. Um, then what are, what are the downsides that you see of actually having built this community? Well, I, the two that spring to mind for me is one that you have to put in the work to maintain it. Um, and two, a community can be unwieldy and you need to, that, that uh, involves maintaining it. So it can kind of, if you're not maintaining it carefully, it can get out of your control. Pe like people it's, you know, it's a group of people with their own, ideas and mindsets who might take it in a, in a direction that you don't necessarily want it to go. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we had a, an experience with this just yesterday. Mm. My partner woke up and she did a normal stretch. She looks a bit like a cat getting uh, stretching her back out in the mornings <laughs> phone reaching to the sky with one hand and looking at her phone in the other. And I just saw her face drop 
because she's running a community called Women Who Golf, which is about 6,000 strong members now in just a few months. It almost runs itself because these ladies are such chatty caddies. But in this instance, uh, a girl from Southeast Asia had joined the group and immediately decided to post, oh, I didn't really for 50-year-old women, and it's <laughs> not. Right. So Tuss woke up to 100-something messages going, oh, I'm not 50 years old. Oh, no, 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 no. And, you know, it kind of undermined a lot of the work that she'd been doing. So she had to spring into action. So, right. yeah, it's not, not as easy as just build it and they will come. There is a little bit of tending it as well. Yeah, because it's not, it's, I think, for me, this feels like, you know, on the benefits is that it's more sustainable. It, you squeeze the most juice out of those leads rather than just purely direct advertising. But you do, it's not as automated as like, you know, Google ads, you might be able to just hire somebody like J Marketing, for, for instance, to manage your Google ads and you can kind of uh, set it and forget it. And um, or if you have, you know, a lead generation funnel, of, you know, that that's just automated, but with the Facebook group and specifically Facebook community, um, especially in the early days, this is something that was mentioned in that Reddit case study, especially in the early days of the community, the enthusiasm and engagement of the people running the group is really important because, whenever somebody posts something, they really want to get a response. And if they just keep posting things and no one responds and no one likes their posts and it doesn't create any conversation, they're probably going to drop out pretty quick. Um, and if you're in the early days of building that community when there isn't already an, a bunch of active organic members, uh, who are going to be commenting on that stuff, then it really falls onto your shoulders and onto the shoulders of the people running the group. So it's, it takes real interest and real commitment that way. Either you or you have to hire someone to be able to manage that community for you. Yeah, actually, this is a little bit of social hacking just here. And that is, Interesting. It's, it's really important to empower your biggest fans. Because mm-hmm. you're right, people give a lot of energy to stuff but usually for a short period of time. And so if you don't catch them when they're kind of like um, animal behavioral training, if you don't catch them when they're doing something good and reinforce that it's good and that it's appreciated, you might not see that behavior again. So I'm a big fan of spotting your most engaged people that kind of think about things the same way as you and promoting them to being group moderators. Excellent idea, yeah. And recognizing them in posts. Hey, these are, you might say, our top member for the month is, you don't even need to do anything. You don't need to give them anything. It's just two seconds of recognizing their behavior. Mm -hmm. So I thought of a good transition for us here, and that transition is... I reckon there's a whole heap of people listening right now that are like, yeah, yeah, I wonder if I could make a group for the company I work for. But as a boss, this is probably sounding a little bit daunting, right? 
I mean, most bosses want to know exactly what their advertising dollars are going to yield. And they don't necessarily want an ongoing responsibility to a community. So if you're the boss, Dan, how do you start to, to feel about this? When, when I bring it to you, what's, what's going through your head as an opportunity? As an opportunity? Um, well, me as someone who understands this marketing strategy already, I see, well, this is, yeah, an opportunity for long-term growth to capture more, um, to capture a bigger audience, to capture those people who are later in, uh, who will take a few years to convert. I reckon just in the tone and the way it took you a while to answer that, I think I made my point, which is right. it's quite hard for a boss to get his head around. Right. So you want to advertise to people, not, our product. You mm-hmm. want to spend money right, building right, a group right. of people who may or may not turn into something. And we're not going to tell them how good we are straight off the bat. And the group might not even be about our product. So I think there's a large amount of making sure that you know, you're ready to have those conversations and you're willing to um, paint what the picture in the future looks like for your company whether you're the employee Mm. or the boss in this matter. Yeah. Excellent point. There is, that is one of the, you know, we kind of touched on this last week. It is a, it is tough for people to understand the value of uh, indirect advertising. Like last week we were talking about reviews can be really hard to get people to understand how important it is to, really invest time and energy into building up uh, their reviews, kind of the same case here. Absolutely. In fact, I just thought of another great example, and this could be a really good way to explain it to your boss if this is a direction you think they're going down. There used to be a a mountain biking and road biking store, so I guess it would just be a biking store near my house. Mm. And at least once a week, but usually multiple times per week, they would have after hour drinks for a little niche part of their community. I think Friday, Wednesdays rather was uh, women in biking drinks. And Thursdays was, I don't know, bloody biking orientation, uh, ori- orienteering. That's the word I was looking for. Biking orienteering group and so on. It might not have been every week, guys. I'm not part of those groups. I just walked by and saw the sign regularly. Mm-hmm. But I was always seeing groups inside the store. So this is, this is a, a real-life community. But, you know, is there any incentive in the bike store to actually have that group? They're putting on drinks at so this cost, and they're bringing in people that already have bikes. Right. So if they saw the value, clearly they did that because they did this for years and years and years when I used to live back in Australia. Clearly they saw the value of having face-to-face conversations with these highly involved biking people because they knew that this would influence not just their buying decision, 
but those people would bring along friends and get them involved. And so these conversations they're having and these efforts actually had a trickle-down effect. I hate that terminology now because of all the economical implications, (laughs) but it did. It had a trickle-down effect to the greater community. And and that was worth the dollars and cents for not that much effort. Yeah, because there's... it brings along an element of social proof where if, you know, first of all, there are the people who are really, they're all about biking and they bring along friends who are a little bit less about biking. The people who are a little bit less involved, see their friend who's kind of the authority on biking, bringing them to this spot. They think, okay, this place by proxy must be a real authority in biking. They must know what they're talking about. And then if those people go there and they see, man, like this uh, Bikes Are Us store has all these people hanging out at this place who are all super interested in biking, it plants in their mind that that is the spot for bikers in the city. So then if they do need to end up buying a bike, they're going to go to the go-to spot and the place that they have this emotional connection with. It's not just the brand, it's the people. We talked about you buy from the people that you like. So now... I often get this. People think I'm extremely confident, but I feel kind of nervous and dorky asking questions about things I don't know. And so if I know someone, if I've got a friend that knows about it, I'll go and ask them because that doesn't feel dorky Mm. as it does compared to a stranger. And so if I've been and I've met Rob the bike guy before, then it's really comfortable just to message Rob and be like, hey, you know, X, Y, and Z questions, answer them for me. I have another example. Another, it, it's a bricks and mortar example, but it's moved online and I love it. And it's for a bar. It's a beer bar in Australia, right? These guys, it's so clever. How would you think that you could build a community for something which is essentially uh homogeneous or homogenous again depends where you are in the world as to how you say <laughs> the that battle word. continues oh we might do a different podcast just on this <laughs> so these guys i got invited along and it was called ale stars and it was a few lovers of beer sitting around it was led by one guy who hilariously his nickname is shandy and <laughs> he would be pontificating about beer and basically talking about the history of maybe saisons or this and the bar would put on some tasters and they charge about $50 a ticket for these nights. But you could buy a membership for like $100 a year and it came with a t-shirt, free access into these events, the free drinks or tasters, your, even your own locker in the bar with your own beer glass with your name engraved in it. Mm. So it's quite a strong sense of community. Right. And let me tell you, in Australia, liquor's not cheap. So when you're going to a a top-end boutique beer bar, it's really not cheap. You know, a little glass of beer, and this is going back 10 years ago now, was like $7 and a pint was like 15. Mm. So I don't know what the modern day standard is, but I'd probably add 50% to that. Right. Anyway, The point of it was that this grew and grew and grew because one, it was really interesting and nerdy and it was serving a 
uh, um, an interest point. But two, it was creating the sense of unity and community. And you could go for a drink any night of the week and you would walk into a community that was yours. You knew people, you felt comfortable. Yeah. You could wax lyrical about the intricacies of beer and you could tell your friends all the stuff you'd learned. And so I said, this is going online and this has, it has transcended um, just offline advertising because these people now stay in touch with each other and in a COVID world we live in, you can still do all of these things, but through the medium of the internet, which still benefits the bar. Yeah. You know, there's a uh, one paraphrase from that uh, Reddit community manager in that case study was give people a place where they feel like they belong. Hundred percent. I yeah. used to work. I used to work at a what is pretty much universally seen as the best ice cream shop in Portland, Oregon, Salt and Straw. And man, I've never seen an ice cream shop with a sense of community like there, because um, their whole, not just brand, but their whole ethos of running their business was about community and uh, Portland is very much that kind of place. I don't know if this would work in New York city, but part of their business model was even though they're really, really popular, even though they're going to have hundreds of people showing up to get ice cream, you treat every single person like they're the only person in the store and you give them as much time as, as they want. They can try anything. You uh, you chat to them, uh, and you're not trying to speed them up at all. And so, people have to wait in line for hours to get ice cream there. And then once they do, they um, you know they have this real experience of connection with the person behind their bar. And you know, there, the first time I went there, I was left one. I'm like, man, I feel like this person like really cares about me. Like, even though there's all these people behind me, they're not rushing me at all. And when I started working there, they said that that's actually part of their business model because a, if you see a line going around the block, a, that's already some social proof. You, yeah, you see people and you're like, wow, that place is popular. I want to go there. But it's more than that because people are there for hours. They end up, you end up talking to the other people in line because otherwise you're just standing in line for two hours, not doing anything. So you end up talking to people in the line and there are a lot of stories of people finding their getting married to someone that they met in line as salt and straw um, because they do a lot of work to make sure that that line is actually a social experience. So people have this, um, deeper emotional connection to salt and straw than just a place that serves great ice cream. Yeah. Conversations this is probably what we haven't really touched on too, but it's super relevant to these communities, both offline and online. Business owners are forever making the mistake of building the solution they want and trying to crowbar it into the market. One of the great things about being involved with women who golf is that 
we realized we created the community before we had the products. Mm. Have I told you the story? The, the original idea, Tuscany, my partner, always wanted to make women's golf apparel. Always mm. wanted to. But this, you could go and spend all your time going into the designs and making what you think looks pretty. And then now you've got to sell the damn thing. Instead, we looked at it differently and said, well, let's make the community first. And then let's talk to the community about what they want. Right. And it's been such an interesting process because firstly, different women have different tastes and preferences and sizes and cuts and so on. So if, if we were hell bent on doing fashion, then it gives us the opportunity to put a whole heap of different designs up and styles and get them to give us like basically pledge what they would and wouldn't buy. Mm -hmm. But by talking to your customers, or your potential customers, it's also given us a insight into what are the other things that they're interested in. And we'd never thought about doing golf tours down to the Caribbean. Mm. Um, selling little community badges and stuff like that so that people could show how they're proud to be a female golfer, bumper stickers. It's quite fascinating. And so for a lot of companies, they're going to have this great opportunity to engage with their audience. And maybe, maybe they're focusing on the wrong spot. Maybe there's some other opportunities for them. Yeah. I'm reminded of 4x4 Iron Man, a company in Australia, good buddy of mine built up the social media side for. And they were so good at it online. They still are, I think. They um, would talk to four-wheel drive owners about what they were doing. and um, They would really engage them in conversations, even when products hadn't served them very well. And in one instance, some guy wrote this like scathing review of one of their products. And so they tracked him down. Like they spent a lot of time trying to work out who he was, got in touch with them, said, can we come around to your house and actually check out what you're talking about? Because, you know, we test our products. And it turns out that this guy had totally used the wrong product in the wrong way. So of course it had broken. And then they, you know, they customer service um, recovery did and gave him the right part and showed him what he was doing wrong and educated him and turned this guy into such a huge fan that he was then jumping in the forums and every opportunity saying, oh, Iron Man was so good. They were the best. They're the best, blah, 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 blah. Right. And that had a big ripple effect across the entire community. So... Yeah, great opportunities. That's that's interesting because that person they took a person who, um, a lot of people would see that and say, "Oh, he left a, a negative review. We want to get rid of that person." In fact, that person is showing that even if it's not positive engagement, they are really engaged with your brand because they are loud about how much they hate it. And so, if that person loves your brand, that that's the same person who's person who's going to be that loud about things that they hate is going to be that loud about things that they love. Yeah. And this is, this is another mindset thing. In fact, I, I should have talked about it before when we're talking about uh, communicating to your boss. It's one of the scary things for brands about setting up a community is that you run the risk of negative communication. Mm. But 
the research is pretty slim on this. I mean, sorry, it's pretty thick, the research, but the data in terms of people that actually get up and shout and scream, talk negative things is really low. It's like, I forget what the stat was now. It's like 2% of the audience or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas brand ambassadors, people that come from a place of love, they are much more prevalent Yeah, because they're not going to stand out. So if you're a company that's doing good stuff and you don't really, you believe in your product, your service, your expertise, I personally have no fear in creating a community and using it as a platform to launch products and services. None whatsoever. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a huge asset and one that can really bring businesses value that goes way beyond just simple, simple paid ads and simple direct advertising. I thought we'd lost you to the community then. Just, just, just dragged that one out. Just building the tension for our listeners. I went to theater school. I'm all about suspense. <laughs> so, Josh, is there anything else we want to want to touch on before we we wrap this up? No. Look, I, I thought about talking technically about how you do it and what the tips and tricks are. And if people want to know, I think we might do a follow-up on this another time. Mm. Um, but the, the one thing that I'll say for those that are say, okay, we've got a community or we're going to create a community is the one trick. Test different ads consistently. We, with women who golf, one of the, the learnings that we found was that some things we did in ads made people like a lot more readily. You know, we get likes for 10 cents each. And yet the exact same ad with a slightly different asset. Like I'll give you an example of we started targeting Canadian golfers. Mm. And on the ad it said Canadian female golfers, you know, join the group. And there was a, we tested with and without a Canadian flag on it. Turns out. Canadian flag helped people identify it was Canadian focused. And so they had a higher conversion rate, higher signup rate. We tried the same Canadian flag, exact same ad, but the flag was in a slightly different position. And all of a sudden the cost per like was a hundred percent more expensive. Wow. And that was just crazy. And so the one advice I'll give to anyone who's thinking, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to build this community today is Set a ton of different ad units. Test, test, test. And look, see what works best for you. I think you'll find your community grows really, really quick. If you've got a very clear niche, you're offering value regularly and clearly, and you keep testing your advertising. And if you guys do have any further questions, shoot us an email. Mine's josh at jmarketing.agency. I'll be happy to give you a few ideas yep and mine is dan at jmarketing.agency and i'm sure on the topic of a b testing there will be a podcast coming at some point in the future so keep listening for that and uh, join our facebook group business life hacks we are going to put a link to that somewhere this podcast is brand new so i don't know exactly where that'll show up but (laughs) there will be a link you will be able to click it uh and if not 
just go to Facebook and search Business Life Hacks and join our Facebook group. It's just been Easter. It's like an Easter egg hunt, except yeah. Facebook group hunt. Yeah, maybe we'll make a treasure map. So keep your eye out for that too. <laughs> All right, Dan. Good session. Thank you very much for leading it, my friends. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Thanks to our listeners. And everybody, have a great day.